Hello everyone, this is Ian McShane. I am VP of Strategy here at Arctic Wolf. This is the Challenge Accepted podcast, the official podcast of uh, Arctic Wolf, I guess. Um, I'm here today with Adam Murray. Say hello, Adam. How's everybody doing? Hey, great to have you here. Adam is, uh, well, actually, why don't you introduce yourself, Adam? You don't need me, I'm your personal assistant. Yeah, I'm uh, Adam Murray, the Chief Information Security Officer of Arctic Wolf, and happy to be here with Ian. Awesome, awesome. This is going to be one of my favorite discussions, right? Because we're coming up to October, and not only is it spooky season, it is also approaching Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Now, I have a true love-hate relationship with Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I love the intention. I hate the BS that goes with it. Um, and so when I was thinking about the podcast today and uh, thinking about the, the guest that is going to come on in a minute and chat to us, um, I was out for my daily walk, and this is going to sound like a real setup, but I promise you it's not. But I just finished up a, an audio book that um, um, I was reading or listening to for actually for the second time. It's called Atomic Habits, which maybe you've heard of, uh, maybe you haven't. It's by a guy called James Clear, um, which and I'm definitely not going to do it justice in like three sentences here. But basically, it talks about how small improvements to things can stack into big changes. And this is why it's going to sound like a real setup. But the thing that, that caught my attention um, because I was already thinking about the podcast today, was that James was talking about creating good habits takes four things, like making it obvious, making it attractive, making it easy, and making it satisfying. And these four things really resonated with me when I'm thinking about how we get our staff, our colleagues, our employees, our friends to, to really get into a security first mindset and thinking about some of the stuff that I've already seen Adam put in place here at Arctic Wolf since he joined as, as CISO. And so, you know, this is going to be a topic that's that's near and dear to, to Adam's heart as well, and, and that of our guests. And so today, really delight, delighted, not delighted, delighted to be joined by Jason Haynick, who is uh, Vice President of Security Awareness and Training here at Arctic Wolf. Hey, Jason, how's it going? Hey, Ian. Uh, it's going well, man. Looking forward to getting, in, getting into this uh, back and forth convo on what's good and bad in security awareness. I know, I can't wait. There's going to be some fun fun discussions. But how about, first off, you tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into security awareness in general, I guess? Sure, happy to. Um, so for me, uh, you know, before coming a vendor myself, I was a security awareness um, professional by career. And I got into that, obviously, because I graduated with a marketing degree, right? Uh, <laughs> obviously. So everyone gets into cybersecurity. Um, no, uh, it was... a uh, Looking back, it, it was kind of like a, a mishmash of starting with um, IT help desk and support, network admin, and really um, working directly with like my coworkers. And at the time, my first job was at a real a real estate company, and so working with realtors, um, who, God love them, they really are great at selling homes, but technology was really never their forte back then. And so I spent a lot of time explaining how. Um, they got the viruses on their laptops that they were paying me to, you know, clean off for them. Um, and from there was a pivot basically into cybersecurity when I was working at a bank. And um, the CISO there at the time saw in me, I guess, an ability to take complex cybersecurity concepts and break them down in a way that people can understand, like, how do I not get the virus on my computer? Um, and then I was really fortunate enough uh, to go and make a move to Los Angeles about 10 years ago. And I got to work with a lot of really fun companies, um, some being uh, Activision Blizzard. And then I went to um, the Walt Disney Company for um, a couple of years. And then after the notorious um, hack <laughs> of Sony Pictures in 2014, I went after they re-stood up their infrastructure and, and built their program for them there. Um, and then 
that was when I made my pivot into being a vendor and, and launching Habituate. And, um, you know, five years later, here I am. Yeah. What, what was it that made you start Habituate? Like when, I mean, when I think about security awareness training, maybe traditional security awareness training, it, it sucked essentially, right? It was once a year. It was like, you know, a couple of hours long. It was always old and looked like it had been filmed on like Betamax or something. And it had like cheesy acting that, you know, it was, it was almost like a Saturday Night Live skit. Um, was that the kind of thing you were looking to address? Like what, what, what did you think it was missing when you started habituating? Yeah. I mean, you, you, I think you kind of nailed it there as a buyer in the space for, you know, several years. Um, and it really started with Activision Blizzard and having to work with a really um, unique set of developers, right? Um, these are the guys that are designing Call of Duty and, and those games. And so it's an elite um, tech user really. And, what I was running into was was realizing that they didn't really need to hear from me in their opinion, and but I still had to engage with them in some way. And I had a lot of luck using a really funny 30-second video that I had found on YouTube um, that just got them laughing. And as soon as they were laughing, I had their attention <laughs> for at least you know five or 10 minutes before they decided I was boring at that point. <laughs> but I, I, had, I had that experience. And when I went to Disney was when I really started to to push that concept of like, I want to use funny videos, right? And they have to be well done videos, not stuff that looks like we filmed it in the back office with a couple of the IT guys. But like, you know, Disney was and is the greatest entertainment company um, that we know right now. And if I was going to have a few minutes with all of my 140,000 employee coworkers, um, it, it better be really good and it better be what they're expecting from something from Disney. And it just wasn't there at the time. And so um, it, uh, as, a, as in the vendor space, I should say, there wasn't vendors that, that provided mm -hmm. that. So we started just producing them internally at Disney. And I would take those funny videos that I was really proud of and I would show them to um, like my peers in the space at the different conferences that I would go to and get a really great feedback from them. And that's when I started to realize, oh, there's an opportunity here to provide value to my peers and also have a lot of fun doing it. So. Yeah, it's just going back to that book earlier. It sounds like that making it attractive, making it easy is is what we're driving at here. Like, just it's much nicer and easier to to watch something that's been made through, you know, with high quality, with high production value, than something that's just cobbled yeah. together the week before, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, it's nice. one of those concepts that are just like generally not very interesting to people. And so, you know, that that was my challenge, and that was my interest is like, how can I make this interesting? And so, we always went with humor. Yeah. And then Adam, over to you for a second, like as a, as the CISO of a, you know, large organization like Arctic Wolf, like what's, what's it like to, I guess, oversee or be responsible for that security awareness program at a security vendor nonetheless? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a huge responsibility because anybody in the space knows that, you know, you can do all the technical things you want to try to lock it down as much, but as long as we have humans involved in the process, they're going to have the ability to do things that, you know, are maybe ill-advised or outright stupid that are going to allow attackers to gain access. And it's just, it's just a fact of life. We have to, we have to accept that. And so as a leader, what you want to do is make sure you're securing, you know, that part of your infrastructure as much as possible. Um, you're trying to make all those wonderful human beings as aware as they possibly be mm -hmm. to try to resist and detect those attacks. So it's a, it's a big deal. And it's something that uh, is like, like you said earlier, is near and dear to my heart. I'm very passionate about it. And I, I came to it through kind of an interesting 
process because uh, uh, you know as we've talked previously in the podcast I was uh, an agent with the FBI for quite a while and it was during that time that I began to give a lot of briefings to companies because you know we were trying to get a foot in the door so we could get to know business leaders so they would trust us and report to us when you know bad things happen and they got breached and one of the ways we did that was offering these you know free presentations and they were often aimed at employees doing general security awareness training type presentations. And what I, what I found is I would go into these organizations, give these presentations and people would be kind of blown away at a lot of them. And what I realized it wasn't that we were saying anything that anybody else wasn't saying. And it wasn't that we were the greatest presenters on earth. It was just, they hadn't been getting quality training at all. And a lot of what we did was storytelling, right? Cause we would just tell the stories that we lived, you know, the, the breaches that we've been involved in and go back to the, you know, the way that the attackers got a foothold and it was often through some sort of, you know, social engineering or interaction with a human being. And people were just captivated by that. And that it really, it really spoke to me much like what Jason's saying is that there was a real big need here. And, uh, so that's that's how I really got excited about this, and it became a big part of what I try to do. Now, to your actual question, at a big enterprise and a security vendor, nonetheless, it becomes extremely important for us to get this right. Uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things to navigate there when we're talking about people who work at a cybersecurity company. We can get smart asses like me that think they know better than everyone else, right? Well, and that's <laughs> so we can get into that. But that's one of the things a lot of people, like these developers, Jason was talking about, really smart people. They think they know, they think they understand, they think they're smarter than the attackers. And you know what? Maybe they are. But the thing is, we all need to be humble. I'm pointing the finger at myself too. We all have to be humble and realize that we are all, we all have the ability to be tricked. We all have the ability to be tired, to be moving too fast, to make mistakes. And if you have that humility, you realize that I need to listen to this. I need to stop, pause listen to these trainings, remind myself of the things to do. And I think sometimes when we're in certain spaces, like we're highly, you know, highly skilled technologists or developers, or we work at a cybersecurity company, there's a temptation to think we've got it all figured out. <laughs> and, and as soon as you get into that territory, you're in the danger zone. As far as let I me, let me, let me tell you this, right. A couple of weeks ago. So I, I placed an online order with Dick Sporting Goods, right? So I'd been down, I guess it was a Monday, like right after work, been down to, to collect my click and collect order, came back home looking at email. And there was this email saying, you know, um, from here's your reward from Dick Sporting Goods. I'm like, cool, clicked on that. And it's like, you've won a Yeti cooler. You just need to fill this stuff in. I'm like, cool, filled my name in, like went next. And it's like, oh, you just need to pay shipping. And like, so, like I thought, hold on, what? Wait, I'm just I'm going to double check this. Do you know what? It wasn't I almost swore that it definitely wasn't Dick Sporting Goods. Let me tell you that. But and it was just like right place, right time. And I almost, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to tell anyone because like I know what to look for. And I almost fell for the easiest one in the book there. Mm -hmm. I know <laughs> that one. I got that one uh, too. It, oh, really? It was, it, it's easy. Yeah. It's easy to just kind of be like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. It's just, it was just weird because I was like, they had Yeti coolers right by the store, the, the door. And I'm like, I remember looking at it on the way through going, oh, yeah, that'd be nice. But I'm not paying 300 bucks for a yeah. piece of plastic. Yeah. yeah so any, anyone can get caught. Like, so Jason, like as you've, as you've built these security, the, the tools and the videos for these programs, like how have you seen that evolve over time over, I guess, five years or so? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I was, uh, when I was at Disney and Activision, I don't, 
I don't think security awareness was really like a thing yet. Right. I mean, I think it was, but like that was, I probably didn't have a proper title role until Disney. Mm -hmm. um, and I think back then it was all about content. Right. And, and cause that's, that was the struggle. We had something that we all expected and it was going to be boring and long and drawn out and, and um, PowerPoint ish and, or death by a thousand clicks. And so when I started doing, I was excited. And I think the industry was excited to see uh, the approach with humor or just higher production quality or just higher yeah. good writers or something like that. Right. Um, and I think now, you know, um, the impact of that over the last couple of years, I think is that that's now what everyone expects. Right. It's like, and it, I think it, it also goes along with like what we're seeing in our daily lives on social media, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or TikTok. it's like, it's pretty high quality stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so if we're not, if we're not being presented content like that, we instantly disconnect. And so I think, I think over the last couple of years, I've just seen like a much higher level of quality of content um, overall to the point now where I think that's just accepted and expected. Now it's like, well, what is the next thing we do now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, as an industry, I think um, maybe I've mentioned this before in, in the podcast, but I think that the cybersecurity industry in general has a real hard time communicating not even complex things to, to non-technical folks, just, you know, standard technical things to non-technical folks. So being able to see how we can deliver that in a way that's engaging and, you know, more down to earth, maybe, and more, more entertaining ultimately has been a real, real breath of fresh air. And I, I think I said to Adam before, like when I, when I first joined Arctic Wolf, my first day, you have like the onboarding training and then like, yeah, go off and do your security awareness training. I'm like, rolled my eyes immediately because I mean, yeah, I was just, I was expecting something. No, not, it wasn't even that I, was, I knew everything. It's just like, <laughs> oh, great. This is just going to be terrible. And, you know, I'm just, I'm going to have to like basically click the mouse button a million times to get past this, to get through this. It's going to be a mouse clicking challenge. And I was like blown yeah. away by, by how, how different and how good it was. And so if, we've, if we're thinking about the content there, Adam, like how, do you, how do you align content in these security programs with, I guess, not only the, the security requirements, but also the culture of the company that you're working for? Yeah, that's a big part of it. And actually, I want to, I definitely want to get Jason's opinion on this because, you know, I'm, I've, I've approached this as a leader who understands the importance of it, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's something really difficult, I think, to get right. Uh, I always try to start with the why. The most important thing I'm trying to get out is the why is this important to you as a person? And I almost feel, to, and, and, you know, push back on me if you think I'm, I'm not right on this, but, I've, I've always felt like it's almost like more important than even the production quality is this like using a story or just something that grabs people and says, this is why this is important to you as a person. Like whatever we could do humor to get them like to get their attention for just a second and then mm -hmm. grab them with the, this is the why so that it starts to infuse itself into their their person into their being like oh I, I realize this is part of what i have to do because of all these reasons i don't know jason what's your experience with with trying to to get to that why and get it into people's brains and not just have you know like a, a funny video or something i you're you're speaking to my heart right now i'm a i'm a huge um behavioral science nerd um and i read a ton of those books and one of the ones i actually um really liked uh one of the key takeaways i think it was called captivology um correct i may have to correct myself if, if that's not right but the concept was like violating expectations right and so 
like I mentioned before, like the training industry has a certain expectation that we all are are expecting, right? And it's like, so if we can go in and you can make them laugh within the first couple seconds, there's also behavioral science that shows that once you ch once you violate that expectation, you've got like 10 seconds where that person is hyper-focused on whatever data you're throwing at them, right? And so that's what we would do with Habituate was like, we would start with something funny um, to get someone laughing and then say, here's why, you know, at least give the intro of like, here's why this is important. And a lot of times it's maybe just connecting with, what we do in our daily lives and, and something that's like meaningful is say, okay, I, I'm listening. And then slowly, you know, push that over to them through storytelling and, and, and humor and stuff like that. But I think you were asking, or we were talking was like, you know, how do you approach that from um, a culture aspect? And it really is, I think you can almost make content agnostic at the beginning of your program until you understand the culture and the whys and how to communicate those to the employees and to your coworkers and things like that. Makes sense. I think it's I think it's also important too that especially in the modern world today, God, I sound old. Like the modern world today, like where everything is digital, right? It's it's not necessarily just about protecting the business. You can get people really invested in cybersecurity by explaining how much this benefits their personal life as well. Because the yeah. the good habits that we want them to form at work are good habits that you want them to have at home, and vice versa, right? Yeah. Well, and I think Adam will. Um, echo this, I don't want to speak for him, but that was a lot of the success that I had initially um, doing like live trainings and departmental trainings was like really delivering it from a personal aspect um, and what it means to them. Because I think if we're being honest um, as security awareness practitioners, we really have to start our jobs every day with assuming that no one cares about this stuff, right? doesn't matter the company, doesn't matter the clearance level, doesn't matter the CEO level, like if we assume that they don't care, then we approach it with uh, the concept of like, we're being respectful for them to their interests and then um, building a like a trust level there with like, okay, now I'm listening a little bit. But if we assume that people want to know this stuff, that I, I always found that was kind of like a misstep that I would take. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. Um, there, there are two, and, and I agree with, uh, you know, your, your earlier point as well, but, but I, I just wanted to jump on this. Like there's two big problems I see with people talking about them, you know, not caring about this one is they have this concept of, well, no one would ever attack me. Right. Like, mm -hmm. yep. and so that goes to the first point of the personal life. Again, people will say like, well, no one's going to, you know, attack me in my personal life. And we always try to say, yep. you know, there's no difference to the attacker personal yep. or business. It's yep. all the same to them. So that's one thing that's, that's challenging to overcome. And the other one is I have found that there's a resistance when it's like letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. So in mm -hmm. other words, if you have some sort of thing yep. you're asking them to do, but they can think of some scenario where it wouldn't work, well, then they don't ever want to do it because it's not going <laughs> to yep. work all the time. So I'm wondering, yeah. uh, you know, what are, what are some of your experiences with trying to get people over that idea of like, well, no one would ever attack me. I'm just some low level employee. And the idea of, well, if what you're asking me to do is not perfect, then we might as well not do it. Gosh, I mean, those are two, I could, I could probably go off for several minutes on each one of those points. Um, I think for me, when it comes to the, well, I'm just a, a nobody type of uh, approach um, response is, Right. You're nobody in your mind, but you have family members and you have perhaps children or aunts and uncles and 
those people are all connected online now, right? And one of the ways I, I got the most people to respond was the, I, uh, the idea utilizing Facebook's friends of friends default feature, you know, so that friends of friends can see your posts, right? And Adam, maybe you cover some of this stuff in your discussions, but like first day of school around here, it's first day of school. Everyone's posting pictures of their, their kiddos and what grade they're in, what school they're going to. And if you, if you don't have your default set, your settings changed to only allow friends to see that, and you have a hundred friends and those friends all have a hundred friends, it's like 10,000 people that can see a picture of your kid, right? And have information of what school they go to, where you live. And then how easy is it to send, uh, you know, an email saying from the PTA association of your elementary school, you know, I'm going to be a good parent. I'm going to sign up. I'm sure. I'm going to um, click mm -hmm. on that Excel document. And ever, it was just in those moments where people were just like, oh my gosh, I never considered that. Right. And even if they go back to, but I'm a nobody, it's like, yeah, but you work at a company, right. And there's value there. It doesn't necessarily mean that maybe you're the information that you hold personally may not be valuable to them, but like your access to things may be. And so um, that, that was one way that I kind of always tried to get over that. Yeah. But not me kind of thing. Um, and what was the other, what was the second the second portion of that? Well, I was going to echo that and say, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's really painting scenarios for people on why they're valuable and getting them to realize that like, yeah. you know, I, I, and I even have stories where I'm like, well, you know, if an attacker sends an email to an executive or someone in the finance department, you know, they could probably detect that. But what if it came from you? I mean, I don't mean you sent it. Someone took over your account yeah. and they sent an email through your, and then the wheels start to turn yep. like, oh, they're not attacking me. I am now a vector for other yep. things. And so I think that's stepping stone. That's yeah, the stepping stone. And you know, it could be for other family members. And also we could talk about how cryptocurrency has basically made attacking individuals <laughs> much more valuable than it's ever mm -hmm. been. And so that's a sort of sure. a personal why me. Um, but sure. the the other point was the uh, perfect being the enemy of the good. And uh, I fight yeah. this battle with a lot of people, even very experienced security professionals who want me to say, you know, who want to debate, you know, the edge cases of, of some sort of solution, or even if it's like a 40% solution or a 50% solution, yeah. they want to, you know. Yeah, but. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but. So, My 12 year old is going through that yeah, but phase right now, right? Find one reason not to do something, like one yeah. far-fetched reason. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely say um, early in my career, it, it was, you know, like I said, death by a thousand clicks, it was probably death by a thousand yeah, buts. <laughs> right. And I think the one big example I have was, was trying to introduce the concept of a passphrase for passwords. Oh man. Um, yeah. And this was at Activision, I think. And I was working at this concept and I think it still holds up to this day, but it was the idea of, of thinking of two or three things that you love and then a, a, a year that's meaningful for to you and, you know, combining them and then adding something for whatever site you're on. And it was always, well, yeah, but if they get that and they see what the site is, then they know the pattern and they do all these things. And I was just like, yeah, but it's still <laughs> better than what you're doing right now. If you're being, if that password is being hacked, you have bigger issues. You know, you you have other things you should be doing in your career and in your life to protect yourself. But for the average person, it's like I can get into the debate on people harping on um, the password. SMS, MFA. Oh, yeah. but like the password manager books yep. that, that are sold online. I'm like, that's actually not a bad resource for folks at home who are you have less of a chance of getting burgled than you do getting hacked. Right. So like I would tell my dad or my my elder family members, write them down and, and keep them in your drawer. You're not going to get broken into. Right? I use that. Use this as an example. 
tell you what, like this time of year is great for figuring out which people you don't want to hire in InfoSec. It's like look on LinkedIn in Cybersecurity Month and you'll see people like ripping the sh really mocking end users like left, right and center. And I saw one this week, I kid you not, from a, and I, I was speaking to someone else about this today, a VP from another security company. So someone that should freaking know better was ripping on a passwords book. Right, but that's not even it, no. This password book on the first page, it had a guide to creating a passphrase. It's like pick a memorable sentence or pick three memorable things. Like this is how you create a passphrase. I'm like, that's literally the best password book I've ever seen. And all yeah. you can think about is taking making fun of people that you know can't use technology. Bravo, <laughs> like round of applause. It's a narrow-minded, like, we know better mentality, oh. I think, that exists in the IT space. And that's what, as security awareness practitioners, we're constantly up against, right? Because yeah. we try and bring, like, a right brain approach to, like, okay, I'm going to use funny videos. I'm going to break this down into a simple, you know, um, statement that someone can understand. And it's like, well, yeah, but all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, not one thing is going to answer everything. But if you apply the Pareto principle and 80% of your workforce is using an eight-character password and you can have them all or a good portion of them go to a 12 character or 16 by using passphrase great you know mm -hmm. you've reduced yeah. risk at that point yeah this is another one of those uh failures to contextualize and i also think failures to teach a concept because what you're trying to teach with in, in my mind with security awareness there's you know a couple levels you could teach the level of hey just do this thing like you don't need to think about it just do this trust me but there's the other level where you're teaching people the concept Mm -hmm. So that they take it into themselves and then they can apply the concepts to many different contexts. Because yeah. like with a password book, you obviously wouldn't want a password book sitting on your desk at work where right. there are a lot of people. It's essentially a public space in a lot of ways. Right. Someone could get to that. But at your home, it's a totally different context. And yeah. having that password book there, very few people are going to see that. Only the people that get in your home. And yeah. even if somebody does burgle your house, what are the chances they're going to steal your password book and then log into your, you know, Yahoo account or whatever, right? right your AOL pretty, account at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Pretty yeah. low. So yeah. I, I think if if we could really get to that conceptual phase, that conceptual level where we're saying, this is why we're telling you to use a password manager or something like that, instead of sure. just, well, I just use a password manager, you know, instead of creating automatons that you, you create people that really think for themselves, then I think we can get past some of these things. And even they might be able to call BS on some, Somebody trying to be smarty pants on, you know, social media, but telling people possibly the wrong yeah. thing. Well, yeah, I think, I think there's, that... oh, sorry. Well, I was no, just going to add to what Adam was saying in, in that, you know, I think that there's this mentality of like perfect being mm -hmm. that like, I forget who it was. It might've been one of my, my business partners before or something, but it was this idea of like, we're not trying to teach you how to do surgery, but we are trying to teach you how to do CPR, Right. And I think from the IT space, sometimes the expectation is we need to do everything perfect and you do know how to do mm -hmm. surgery, but like the average person just needs to know how to minimize damage, right? And if we can just teach you the high level concept of, of like, here's a password manager, here's why it's great. And just start by using your bank information, right? Just plug that in and then just let it t uh, just ask see how easy it is, ones, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to do this whole big thing. Just, just start with one, just, just see how it is. Yeah, that, that perfect's being the enemy of good. I see it all the time. I've yeah. spoken to so many organizations. They're like, yeah, we just, we've got too many people. We can't roll out MFA. I'm like, well, what about, what about the privileged accounts? How about your IT admins? They can definitely use it. So yeah. how about rolling out just to them or, you know, yeah. and that, the other, the, other, the other famous discussion is MFA is pointless if you're using SMS because you can clone someone's SIM card. That's my, that's my second favorite threat model. Throw everything out. 
<laughs> All right, so Adam, tell, like, tell me this. Like, I'm, a, I'm a jackass and I think I know everything. And I think fishing simulations suck. I genuinely think they suck. And so I'm looking to you as a CISO to explain to me why they're useful. And I'm going to tell you why I think they suck. I think they suck because it's a way for us to trick employees into clicking something and to try and train them away from doing something that a hyperlink was designed to do. So tell me why I'm wrong. I really, I really think this, this is not a either or question because I think there's so many nuances to how you roll out a program like this. And I'm not saying I do it perfectly, but I can tell you sort of some of the concepts where I think this can be a useful tool in your arsenal to try to fight against phishing. I think if you really use it in what feels like a partnership with your employees, where you say, hey, we're going to send you out these phishing simulations, you know, don't call it a test. We're not trying to trick anybody. And I also don't really believe in punishments for this, but you roll it out in a way where you say, hey, we're going to show you what some of these look like. Now, this will give us, and by the way, don't click on it. Please report it if you see it, because we want to see what number of people are, are going to click on this, but, but as a way for us all together to understand this better and to give you a chance to see these on a regular basis. So you'll know that they'll be coming in. It just, it increases your awareness. And I think if you could get to more of a feeling like that, where it feels like a partnership, they're helping, like you as an employee feel like, oh, my security team is helping me recognize phishing, helping me understand it. And yeah, when I click on it, I'm going to feel dumb, but they're not going to get mad at me. You know, they're going to come and they're going to say, hey, tell us what was effective about this. Tell us what was going on. I've had some great conversations where people have, I learned some key insights about phishing. One, one of which is, one of the things I think people are doing is they're moving way too fast through their email and they're just not processing it. But I learned that because we'd sent out phishing emails and I would have these great discussions with people. And I'll tell you this, the first thing I do when I, and I sit down with them personally. And the first thing I do is say, you're not in trouble. I'm not mad. Nobody's nobody's like, we're just sitting down. Yeah. I just, I, I want you to tell me what was going through your head because what we could do is we could take these lessons learned and we can give them to everybody. And then all of a sudden they become a partner. So I think phishing mm -hmm. tests can really be useful that way. But yes, I agree with you. If they're sent out and they feel punitive and they feel scary, you're just going to, it's it's going to become an antagonistic relationship. And sure. that is absolutely the last thing you want with your security team and your employees is to have that antagonistic, we gotcha style of, of relationship. So anyway, there's a few of my thoughts. Yeah, that's great. I, I... <laughs> I didn't honestly, honestly, I didn't feel wholly comfortable asking my CISO why I thought phishing simulations were terrible. <laughs> but Jason, how about, how, how about you? Like, has that been part of your um, security awareness practices before? Yeah, I mean, A, I, I, I sympathize and I align Ian with your statement a lot, right? I think that it's a necessary evil and that's as being a practitioner. Um, and I want to, I want to back my answer up just a little bit and say that when I started using phishing simulations, there was two, maybe three vendors in the space. Um, the, at the time, the analysts were really using to define what security awareness and training was, and they mm -hmm. were phishing simulation vendors. Um, they've all since changed names or gone on, been acquired and stuff like that. But this is kind of the gripe that I have as a practitioner is that that's what everyone now thinks of security awareness and training is that it's all phishing simulation, mm -hmm. right? And phishing simulation is important and training, um, but to me, it's a one of four or five keystone, you know, elements of a of a robust security awareness program. 
But I think I come from a, a different viewpoint, I think, in that for me, it's really about vocabulary and like what Adam was saying, it's not about tricking. So I always, I always highlight with my peers and say like, you're not testing them. This is a fishing training. They're responding to a training that shouldn't be offensive. So they're not a repeat offender. They're just a repeat responder, right? And when you start to use positive language versus negative language, and you can instill that within your IT team and your infosec teams, you start to like subconsciously tear down that um, users are the weakest link mentality, right? And I think I, I am a, a completely anti-punitive program um, advocate, but I do realize that there's some industries and some company specifics where like that could literally bring down the country in some way, right? Yep. And so maybe it is applicable. And I still think that it's all about strategy and how you're managing that program and having a good um, program plan for how you're rolling out your phishing simulations, right? And so um, I don't like them, but I think they serve a purpose for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're valuable, but it really comes down to like Adam was saying, like you have to do it in the right way. And I, I've had similar experiences where like I had one person who was like an executive assistant to a marketing VP at another um, studio that I was working at. And this, this person clicked literally on every phishing simulation I had sent out that year. And so like Adam said, I was like, <laughs> you know what, I'm just going to reach out. So I started my repeat responder program and my top 10% of responders I would go to and just, I'd sit down with them. And this person told me, she was like, listen, she's like, I work for the VP of marketing. Uh, my job is to open up every email because we could miss an opportunity. And I was like, oh, that is great information to know. And at the time, this was still kind of like when you could hover over a link and see that it was coming yep. from someone different. And I asked her if she was aware of that. And she said, no. And I showed her how to do it. And this was like a seven minute conversation at her desk, right? Like I went to meet her. And after that point, she never clicked on a phishing simulation email. Right. And I would follow up with her and be like, hey, we've done six and you haven't clicked on any. And she would be like super stoked about it. She's like, yeah, I use that all the time now. And, you know, it may not be as effective now, that tip, but like it really is about like being transparent, being open about like what the goal is of the training program that you're not in trouble. Right. And that you're not going to, um, I mean, again, depending on the company and the corporation, you're not going to lose your job, that this is just to better the program. Right. Yeah. That's then the I trouble. Think I think. Yeah. And then you can be valuable in that way. I think. I think there's a history of security being the, the punishment stick, right? When yeah. you hear from the security team, it's because you screwed something up, you stupid end user. Yeah. Yeah. You have the ID10T mentality and all that stuff. And so I think mm -hmm. um, that's been like a personal um, passion of mine is trying to reverse that, um, the, that mentality and also mm -hmm. help bridge better relationships between the security team and end users. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, the, the, go on, Adam. Well, I was going to say, I do, I do want to add you can't avoid the conversation about the seriousness of fishing and how prevalent it is and how successful it is and how it's pretty insane. I'm just going to say it. It's insane in the modern world that we've decided to continue to use email <laughs> yep. for really important functional business. Yep. And we essentially set it up in a way where we say, all right, all employees at my company, you're all at the gates. You're guarding the house. Yep. Good luck. And yeah. then, and don't then do we come dumb. down. Yeah, don't do anything dumb. And then we come down on them like, oh my gosh, how did you not detect this? It's a little <laughs> bit crazy. And so in that environment, we have limited tools. One of them is to try to get an idea of how good our employees are at this because yeah. we have asked them implicitly. I mean, we're, I, I wish I could make a different decision, but we've asked <laughs> them We've asked them to do this. And because of how serious, I cannot tell you how many serious investigations I've done 
that started with fishing and we've all heard the stories, you know. It's like all of them. Yeah. yeah. It's so <laughs> every time. <laughs> it's, it's all of it's either it's either credential reuse or fishing, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I just it, I have to underscore this conversation with yeah, fishing tests aren't the best, but fishing is super scary, super successful, or super, right. you know, uh, effective for attackers. And we don't have great ways to defend against it. I mean, we got <laughs> lots of whiz bang tools out there, but once again, as long as we're telling our humans, you're the ones that got to detect this, it's really hard. And as Jason yeah. pointed out, there are some no fault situations out there that people are mm -hmm. in where you yeah. cannot be the one to do that because you could, yeah. you know, serious. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and the irony is not lost on me that I said fishing tests are terrible. And then I admitted not five minutes ago that I almost gave my credit card <laughs> details to fishing. Amazing. Well, you know, um, to, to circle back to like the earlier conversation with my time at Activision, and it was like those, I think fishing simulations are really great for elite users because it does kind of show that humility of like, I can still get you, right? Like you don't know everything and it doesn't have to be like an aha gotcha moment. It could just be like a, Hey, here we, here we are. Like a, are you going to listen a little bit now or at least like let me let me just take that chip off your shoulder and just put it right in your depth <laughs> until you're ready to put it back on you know like do you know, do you know what I've, after you after this conversation i'm thinking that fishing could fishing testing could be the best way to take people down a peg or two that you know think they know better i love it humility <laughs> exercise yeah yeah I, I could sure use a dose of that myself i'm sure so yeah. thinking about like we've already talked about not letting the um, not letting good be the enemy of no not letting perfect be the right. enemy of good good god <laughs> a company has limited resources that's the that's a known thing so when they can't do everything where should they start and there are still hundreds of thousands if not millions of organizations that are not doing any of this stuff right these people that don't have any security uh, acumen or employees dedicated to it whatsoever so if they have limited resources and nothing to do what can they do what what should they do or what can they do Jason, let's start with you. So I've, I've been that resource um, that had zero budget, zero everything, but had to do something, right? And what I found is like, you can still be very effective. Um, I think a majority of a successful security awareness program is relationship building and trust building. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there's plenty of open source tools that can run phishing simulations. Um, and I think with enough coaching and guidance, um, you can establish an advisory board, you know, within your company, depending what size it is, and, and get those key stakeholders on board and just say, here's what I'm proposing is important to us. Do we all agree? Mm -hmm. And getting that buy-in so that you can take that and and begin doing some of those initiatives that are that are are important. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really just understanding like what's your biggest risk and and how do you how do you clear out most of that in in the first effort, right? And, mm -hmm. and understanding cultural differences within the company and, and things like that. So I think it's really just, I, I think most most practitioners will could spend six to nine months of their first year running a program, understanding the company and the yeah. nuances and the relationships there um, before being effective. And that's one thing I always kind of offer to new programs is like, you need to um, communicate with your leadership team that they're not going to see an, an overnight and over month, mm -hmm. you know, uh, return of investment on this. This is a an annual thing that you're going to start showing redu reduction of risk, and it takes a lot of time and effort to engage mm. a program and be a, be effective. Yeah. What about what about you, Adam? And just thinking back to the first podcast where I learned a, a very important lesson about asking the FBI for help. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say if we're 
once again, it just goes back to that concept. Do something. Do so because something is better than nothing. And also one of the most effective things that you can do in security awareness training is have the top level leaders be involved and passionate about it. So yep. if you lead an organization and you've got 10 employees, you're the CEO, you do it. You do something. Yeah. You know, it could even be just you doing an hour of research one evening and then having a, a 20 minute, you know, discussion with your company. Hey, this is what I think we should be doing. And the other thing is, if you have a, if you're a company like that, there's no security practitioners at all. You're just trying to do business. Again, it starts at the top, but there's almost always somebody in the company that's passionate about this, yeah. or at least interested. That's what I found when I would give presentations to always. different companies. There's always somebody that would come up to me at the end and say, oh, I detected this thing. There's always that person that's excited. Find out who that is, assign them and say, yeah. hey, can you give us, you know, a 20 minute, 30 minute Q&A discussion, briefing, whatever it is next week on fishing or whatever. Just yep. start with something. And especially if you're leading it from the top, if you're a CEO, CFO, whatever it is you will start to build that security culture. And if they see you walking around, not letting people tailgate in you after the door, you're wearing your badge as a leader, your employees will follow. So I think there is something every organization could do. Now, if you're not a leader and you're at a small organization with limited resources, you could take it on yourself to start doing this, offer it mm -hmm. up, talk to your leaders and say, hey, I think we really need to get serious about this. There's there's so much that can be done that's, be that's better than nothing. And... <laughs> Like you mentioned, Ian, one of those things is, you know, in a lot of in a lot of places, the FBI or other organizations would be happy to come over and give a presentation if you reach out. I gave presentations yeah. to some pretty small, speaking of realtor, like title companies, because yeah. I remember back then they were getting hammered pretty hard with a lot of these mm -hmm. uh, business email compromise and uh, mm -hmm. kind of man in the middle email attacks. And uh, so I gave a lot of presentations to smaller companies, again, just trying to give back to the community and get involved. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't think we're too small. They're not interested in us. Reach out. Also, there are tons of resources online, tons of free stuff. Now, is all of it the same high quality stuff Jason's talking about? No, but it's something. Something's it's better than nothing. Much, no, I, much better than nothing. And, and I really want to um, underline or underscore the FBI, reaching out to the FBI or something. I Every single year as a professional, I had the FBI come in and present sometimes multiple times because it was such a hit and people felt like they were getting access to something that no one else is getting and getting this inside story and they love it and it's free, right? Like just bring them in and do it and then mimic, you know, create a deck after that and mimic like the similar stories and, and talk about it. People love that stuff. Honestly, since Adam blew my mind by saying you can just ask the FBI for help, I have in turn blown many people's minds by saying, have you ever thought about contacting the FBI? They're like, why would I do that? I haven't done anything wrong. I'm like, no, hold on. Yep. Like, yep. It's, it's, it's incredible. That's a really, really golden piece of advice. So we're coming to the end of the time here. So it, Cybersecurity Awareness Month, how about Adam? What do you want people to be aware of in cybersecurity this month? What's the one thing, one piece of advice you'd want someone to take away right now? Uh, I always, like I said, I always start with the why. So I think there are really good campaigns out there. I think what uh, CISA in the United States is going to do is really good. I've seen some of their materials, but yep. the, the biggest thing I want people to know is that they are responsible for their own security, just like you're responsible for your own safety. And the other thing is to feel empowered that you can do it. Like, you just like it. you can, you can get in your car and you can put your safety belt on and you can drive the speed limit. Same thing. 
Security online does not have to be something that you immediately turn your brain off. I don't understand it. I can't do it. You can. You can do it. There are simple things that you can do each day. Just learn what they are. Start small. Build from there. But it is your responsibility. You've got to protect yourself for your privacy and the security of your information and those you love and wherever you work. You've got to take responsibility for it. It's you know, I want it to be an empowering message. I want people to feel like they can do it, but it is your responsibility. I think that's the biggest thing. You can't expect the latest, you know, advent of technology or some other tool to come along and protect you. Like your phone isn't going to do that. You've got to take responsibility for it and do it. And you can. You can do it. Jason, what about you? Um, I'll probably speak more to my peers and the practitioners that are trying to prep for that month. Um, and I just want to give a shout out. The reason why the month exists is because of the NCSA and it's stay safe online, really just building um, uh, campaigns every year and getting bigger and bigger under um, Daniel Elliott. I know I let it. My, my, my friend now, Lisa um, uh she's running a great program there. Um, there's resources out there. They put really great resources together. Stay safe online.org is the site. You can, you can sign up to be a, I forget what they call it, a, a, an advocate or something, uh, a champion. And um, if you're feeling overwhelmed, check those out first um, and and just try and talk to people um, about their personal, how it's relevant to their personal lives and how they can protect their families, their friends, their parents and stuff like that. Um, and just be creative and have fun. Have fun and you can do it. I love it. And that's, that's a great takeaway. Thanks, Jason, so much for your time. It's great to, to have you not only at Arctic Wolf with all the great content and the great work you do, but great to spend some time with you today, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to join. I appreciate it. And Adam, Thanks, same Jason. to you, man. Thanks so much for being here. So everyone, you know, be sure to like, share and subscribe. I feel like an idiot saying that out loud. Like, share and subscribe to this podcast on, you know, whatever platform of choice, whether that's, I don't know, Apple, Spotify, where else do the cool kids listen to things these days? <laughs> Hit the like button. Smash that bell. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> this is the Challenge Accepted podcast from Arctic Wolf. Thanks so much for joining us today and uh, catch you next time.